can I just acknowledge before we start that uh, this second lockdown has affected people more deeply than most of us could possibly have imagined? And the world, especially Melbourne world right now, because that's all we know, is pretty upside down at the moment and a bit, I feel like our nervous systems are tuned up um, to be looking out for where the next attack or change is going to come from. And a lot of people are really, really struggling through this. Uh, almost like, well, I've kind of described it as that, the con like COVID last year was kind of in a container that we'd held and gone, that was traumatic. It's going to take a long time to rebuild our lives, to process, to move on, but let's get on with that work. And that container was called 2020, and then it very rudely leaked <laughs> into 2021. And what was, you know, comparatively a minor way, but in a way I think that tapped so deeply into, um, yeah, our anxiety and showed how low our reserves were and how, um, difficult it was to imagine a future with unknown possibilities in this way. And so I just kind of wanted to name that this morning and just ask in this place for just deep kindness. Uh, yeah, because I think we need a lot of it right now. We, today's a, today's a, a bit of a different week. I'm going to try something. I mean, like what isn't a different week here? Um, this is a different place. Uh, but I'm going to try something that, uh, again, needs a lot of grace and kindness, some of it towards me and some of it towards yourselves. <laughs> we are in a series on the body, and because we've got limited time, I'm not going to do a huge recap on what that is. But effectively, we've been looking at a spirituality of the body that might be less toxic and more nourishing and kinder towards our bodies than some of the versions of spirituality that we have come from. And we're kind of, as usual, mining the Christian tradition for the good bits uh, and seeing what it might have to say to the way we see and treat bodies. Uh, the three frameworks we've been using is a concept borrowed by process theologian Sally McFaig, which is she invites us to, as a metaphor to see the world as God's body, something God is immersed in and in tuned with and feels the pain of. Uh, to look at us as the body of Christ, as siblings in a body, which is a system, which is a way of being. Uh, and then to look at our own bodies and reflect on that. And for some of you, uh, you'll come from places where your body isn't really on your radar uh, and your spirituality has kind of fueled that. For others, you've been deeply engaged with your body in ways that even talking about, thinking about bodies is quite difficult. So I just want to acknowledge that. Uh, a few years back, we did a, a series on spirituality, which seems like a ridiculously broad topic. But uh, one of the resources we used was a guy, um, Catholic theologian called Ronald Rollheiser, and he describes spirituality as the thing that directs the flame of our lives, this concept that we are born with a flame and we get to choose what to feed and where to douse and what direction we point that flame in, but we all have this energy within us that we spend and spirituality is whatever shapes how we spend that flame of our lives. Unsurprisingly, it deeply affects how we perceive and engage with our bodies. 
Some of you over the last little while have foolishly asked me what my thesis is about. <laughs> I'm doing a very small in the scope of theses, theses, uh, master's thesis at the moment, but um, because of COVID and children being sick and me uh, being a dad, it's just taking forever. So I've got a long time to think about what I'm not doing. Uh, and for those of you who have asked me about it stupidly for an elevator sum summary out of politeness uh, and being dragged into a spiral of despair, as I've described, what neoliberalism's done to our uh, consciousness, this week is kind of for you. Uh, it's an offer of hope, maybe, uh, and where we might find kinder possibilities. Part of my thesis is built around the idea that one of the fundamental shifts in Western civilization in the last hundred years is the internalization of the logic of capitalism, which some of you will go, hmm, the logic of capitalism, and others will view, like my wife, will go, would you shut up? <laughs> no one knows what you're talking about, you smug prick. Um, she doesn't actually say that, but I know her well enough to know what she's thinking. Basically, in English, that means we understand ourselves through how we are told the economy works. And I won't get too deep into capitalism and its uh, beast of a descendant neoliberalism. But essentially, the core concepts are that we are autonomous individuals in a free market competing with one another to find the best deal for what we have to offer and for what we want to get. Now, today we are not going to get too deep into economics because that's not everyone's cup of tea and it's a rabbit hole we don't need to go down and we can't do all of the things, Shane. We can't do all of the things. But that has its advantages and disadvantages as an economic system. It's opened up opportunities and it's caused some harm. Some philosophers are concerned with the way that this is bleeding into our understanding of who we are in the world and how we interact with one another. Effectively, that we've taken that script as how the market works and placed ourselves in it and economized the human body, the human self and human relationships. There is a script that sits in the background. And this script is one of the scripts that hums in the background of our society and culture. For you, it may feel very close. For you, it may feel very far away and foreign. We never live by a single script. We are always living between narratives, between stories, between ways of understanding ourselves. And lots of them conflict, and some of them feel like second nature and common sense, um, and some of them feel very foreign. And so what I'm, the script I'm going to describe, uh, you may recognize but not feel you participate in. You might feel like I'm describing you. You might just feel like I'm describing your friends. You might think, this is ridiculous. No one thinks this. You idiot. <laughs> Again, you wouldn't say that, but I know you well enough. Thank you, Libby. I did press record. 
I asked Libby to remind me of something because my, my brain constantly sabotages me. <laughs> I get help. By scripts, I mean the often sub- subconscious ways we're told the world works. And I'm going to read two scripts today. And both of these scripts are going to be idealized hyperbole versions which can have holes poked in them, and that's okay. I'm trying to use the extreme to highlight some truth in the middle. And in no way I'm saying that all of the first script I read, which is bad, is all bad, (laughs) because there are some liberating possibilities in it, and it has been, it has served particular people in sometimes really helpful ways from the systems that they have come from. I'm going to read a second script. So the first script is going to be a script of the neoliberal subject. That may sound really complicated, but I'm going to try and translate it into ways that might be resonant with you. I'm then going to read a second script. And this script will piss some people off even more (laughs) uh, because it is smug. It's an attempt at the logic of Jesus' invitation into community. And again, it is an idealized version. It has never worked out completely like this. No church or family or community actually manages it. But I try to tap into the best of what I feel Scripture invites us to. And for all of the crap we often talk about, the communities that we've been in, I'm going to try and represent some of the most beautiful elements that I've witnessed in Christian communities, even ones that have been really toxic and harmful in other ways. This is an alternative logic. It's got its weaknesses, it's got its flaws, it can definitely be abused and misused, but I think there's some beauty in it. This morning, to be honest, this feels a little dangerous for me. Um, Dangerous for some because it might feel like scaremongering. For you, the world is not like this. And dangerous for others because it might feel overwhelming and strike too deeply. This first section might feel quite heavy. And I just want to begin by telling you as firmly as I can, I don't believe this is a true description of the world. Um, But for some of you who felt immersed in this, um, A, it may feel like a judgment on you, which I don't mean it to because this is a a system we are immersed in. Or B, it might feel so resonantly true that it's a bit despairing. So again, let's hold each other gently during this. And I might read it and you might be like, well, (laughs) you didn't need to be so careful. But I'd rather be more careful than less. Okay. The internalization of the logic of capitalism, a hyperbole. We, at the end of this, will spend a few moments reflecting on what bits resonated with you. Um, There'll be plenty that doesn't, and we won't get too deeply into that because we don't have time to do all the things. But, yeah, along the way, maybe just flag the bits that strike you. Congratulations. You've been born into a world of opportunity. No matter where you start from, you can make it big. Haven't you heard of that one with nothing? They started with nothing and made themselves into something. If they can do it, why can't you? But really, why can't you? 
There's everything you need here to make it big. So get started. Good news, you are free. You're an individual. These are the truest things about you. So who are you? That's up to you. You get to choose. You must choose. But which you are you? And what will you do? Preferably, something impressive. Or at the very least, quirky and interesting. No one likes a bore. Be ready to be asked, so what do you do? A hundred million times. Because who are you and what do you do are really the same question. Oh, and whatever you, you, you choose, best be good at being it. I mean, if you aren't good at being you, then really, what does this say? So just quietly, ensure everyone else knows how well you're doing. This is especially true if you're not very good at being you. In that case, best work extra hard to cover that torrid secret. And if you can manage it, look like you're not really trying. Now that's impressive. And don't forget, as if you could, this is a competition after all. Survival of the fittest and whatnot. It sounds mean, but it really does bring out the best in us. It sorts the wheat from the chaff. Oh, and there is no us. There is only you. And you should know rule number one. There is not enough. Not enough love. Not enough money. Not enough resources. Others winning means you losing. Either you don't have enough, or you could do with more. There is not enough. There is never enough. You are your body. Everything rises and falls on what your body can do. Babe, you're beautiful and wonderful and valuable and loved. As long as you are categorically beautiful and appear wonderful, effortlessly wonderful, and are productive enough to be valued, then you will be loved. Your body is a tool, so put it to work. Have you? Have you fulfilled your potential? Reached your capacity? Truly become all you could be? No? Well, don't rest. This is a missed opportunity for getting more. Small word of warning. Don't let your body break. Lest you end up one of them. Those pitiable things who lay strewn are relevant along the wayside. God bless them. We'd love to help them out when we can. But perish the thought we become one of them. Cap in hand, flapping about, waiting for the mercy of others. You are free. Stay free. Be alert, be anxious, for in staying still for a moment, you may find yourself left behind. Your greatest asset is fluidity. Keep your options open, stay nimble. Do not commit, never commit. Who knows what you might miss out on? By all means, pencil things in, but don't fall for the trap, the enemy of freedom, obligation. You are free, everyone is free. 
Everyone can choose for themselves and is in charge of their own destiny. There is no obligation outside yourself. By all means, give. Be benevolent. This is the prerogative of winners. But keep it charitable, at arm's length. Don't get bogged down, entangled. Remember, relationships are assets, and they should offer something back. Some relationships are liabilities. Reconsider this investment. After all, everyone's responsible for their own problems. Why should you be burdened by others' ineptitude? Of course, you too are responsible for your own problems. Many of them are your fault. After all, don't you have everything you need to flourish? Some of them aren't your fault, of course. They landed like an unwanted package in your lap. But they're still yours. Yours. And therefore, it's your job to fix it, to project manage it, to fossick for help where you can find it. But please, don't be a burden on anyone. That might encroach on their freedom. Never forget the unspoken agreement. I won't be a burden on you if you won't be a burden on me. If all else fails, at least tell people you're fine. It really is kinder to everyone. By all means, stumble, but dear God, do not fall. Who on earth would catch you? And above all, do not trust. To trust is to risk being let down. To trust is to risk forgetting that in the end you are responsible for yourself. Because ultimately, you're an individual. You are alone. Alone with your success. Alone with your failure. Surrounded by others who may admire, who may care, who may even be close. But when push comes to shove, they do not owe you anything because they are individuals too. You are alone. This is the truest thing about you. Congratulations. You're an individual. You are free. Now go. Be the best you you can be. I know it started sounding a bit Dr. Susie, but I did what I could. So that might have felt really foreign, already familiar. It might have felt like things you've heard of but not experienced. Or it might have felt like the story of your life. Um, we're a dialoguing community where possible. So we invite people to share perspective and participate. Um, not for yourself, of course, because that's very vulnerable, but for other, for, for other people you know. <laughs> did, any, did any of that resonate? And if so, which bits kind of hit home for that person that you know? Lonnie, Lonnie gets it.
that bit where you said, just don't be a burden on others. Yeah, I, yeah, I had wondered where I felt that from. Tendency seeing some people to lash out at others in anger and be on the attack to hide their vulnerabilities. Yeah, it's like the I could I could resonate in like many of my different relationships I have with people. And it's like and it's like the thing in the air that I don't have the vocabulary for and I don't, haven't experienced or lived a different way. It's just like a background, like the norm. Yeah. So it was like the hitting home when you said different lines. I was like, oh, yeah. Shane, <clears throat> I, I found myself um, sort of recognising myself in a lot of what you were saying and then another another voice in my head pushing back and sort of saying, oh, but, but you know, it actually connects into this point here and this point here, which you preceded it by saying different scripts intersecting with each other and I as you were <coughs> relating that, yeah, I, I certainly became conscious of some several intersecting scripts and some arguing back against it, yeah, but a lot of it, um, like, you know, you are free and uh, it's about life and freedom and, uh, and that certainly permeates a lot of, um, a lot of life and a lot of people that I would intersect in terms of their aspirations, yeah, now. There's other stuff around that, but yeah. The competitive nature for individuals at the cost of community. And like community is nourishing and community sees holes and butts. It's an asset or it's a, or it's a liability. And in this culture, it's the drive for self at the cost of all else. And people lose the beauty of being with others and being vulnerable with others for nourishment opposed for an asset or a reward. Any final thoughts? Any particular lines? One of the things that has driven um, the reality of this home for me is being close to lots of the social sector and to the not-for-profit sector. Um, and watching 
the same ideology put to a different purpose. So watching the not-for-profit sector, people who deeply want to do good, who have turned down financial incentive, who have resisted one element of the script, killing themselves and their staff and their organisations to do better and do more. Which m makes me think how powerful this is, that it morphs and adapts so easily that when you take it, the economy out of it completely, which is its roots, and put it into another sphere which is supposed to be fostering something else, the level of ego and drive and not enoughness that exists in those sectors and the incredibly unwell people that function as poster children for those organizations. Um, that's really scary. Another script. Uh, this is, again, about an operating logic, <laughs> about a script underneath practices. And so it most often doesn't function, anything like this, because we are humans and we are more complicated and there are um, intersecting scripts. Um, but this is one version of the invitation we might receive to being a body together the body of Christ. Um, this is not really about our church as such, but about what community might be. Um, and just before I to kind of frame this, since the 1970s, um, the stats around collectives, which are organized community of any form, particularly communities of, of mutual obligation, where people are involved in such a way that they feel like they owe the other people in the community something. They owe mutual care. Um, since the 1970s, which was when neoliberalism really kicked in, um, collectives are on the decline and are suffering hugely. Churches, clubs, societies, neighborhood groups, unions, just any, any form of community where there is more than money and kind of participation involved, but where there's actually deep carrying of each other's burdens um, has been a mass decline. Um, some of it is because a lot of those communities are totalitarian and coercive and really unhealthy. Um, but it's not just that. <laughs> There's the fact that being a part of a collective limits freedom in ways that does not gel well with a nimble neoliberal life. So yeah, that's in the background. Some of this stuff in here, um, was sparked by a line from this podcast I was listening to with someone, it was just a one-off, the kind of offhand thing, but someone was describing um, coming into ch their church, which they ended up, you know, ideologically finding massively unhelpful. But in terms of community, they, they came into church as a 16-year-old from a pretty disjointed place and notice this thing, and this is a kind of paraphrase because I couldn't actually bother going to find the podcast and look it up. But he said something like this. <laughs> the thing I always, felt, I always found remarkable about coming into church is that you were loved because you were there. That was the only requirement. And I just thought about that as a container, about bodily presence, 
is being there, being the prerequisite of you being a beloved object, a beloved subject, sorry. Okay. Come, you who are heavy laden, all who flail and struggle. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. No, you are not self-made. You are made and you are loved. This is the truest thing about you. Loved and deeply known, made to be truly seen. Before you did, before you achieved, before you impressed, before your beauty was weighed and measured and calculated, you were the beloved. Remember Nana's body? Frail, pudgy, flatulent, perplexing lumps in irregular places, toenails thick like pumice. Wasn't it this unkempt, unfiltered body that felt so much like a home? So come, beloved. Join the table because there is more than enough here. Enough love, enough time, enough resources, enough to rest, enough to say no. Bring your body with all of its quirks and all of its splendor. It too is loved, not for what it can do, but because it is here. Come, gather around the fire where you are seen in kind light. Flickers of amber that forgive scars and smooth pockmarks that do not draw attention to worn and blackened teeth. Huddle, gather where you might shed the coat of being impressive, if only for a while, and stand in the company of so many ragged bodies who crave warmth. This is one place where we are not in competition. We can all matter. We can share the space without anxiety. There is not just you, there is us. The world does not turn on your axis, and you are not responsible for keeping it spinning. The moon does not crash into earth when you stumble. We bear all things together. And trust me, this place has seen it all. This way is not efficient. It's not convenient. Not a fast track to anywhere. It is a slow pilgrimage whose regularity and rhythm does not fit easily into a spontaneous life. It will never be featured in broadsheet, awash with soft pastels, bookmarked under really must try one day. The people won't always be new and interesting. They'll just be the same dorks that were there last week. It won't get you ahead, probably quite the opposite. It will likely leave you scrambling for a hastily constructed mistruth when asked what you did on the weekend. It will mean missing out, saying no, turning down something prettier in the name of wiping tables, offering prayers, noticing who's missing, tending the gentle flame of familiar presence, a haven in a scattered world. And verily I say unto you, you will also fuck things up. You will bruise and wound others as you flail for safety, as surely as you will be bruised and wounded 
by others doing the same. And may you not be cancelled, but invited to that most vulnerable of spaces, that difficult path where bitter tears are shed, humanity is laid bare, and true restoration is possible. This way is slow. It is not a key, a course, a retreat, a weekend of transformation. It only reveals itself in time, unfolding over sips of tea, crunches of crackers, the clink of dishes being washed, and unseemly snorts of laughter, unplanned tears, brave apologies, trust that is earned in inches. Be held in the kind gaze of a people who know each other well enough to see through our best impressions of functional humans. You will be a burden. Get used to it, and you will bear burdens too. It's all just a matter of time. Put away your cape. No one gets to be a hero here, hovering over the masses, feet free of the muck, swooping in and scooping up the destitute, the chairs of the crowds. No. We're all just siblings here, falling over on carpet, crying out, being picked up. Each taking our turn. Stay a while. Be still. Resist the urge, if you are able, to flee, to look for quick fixes, to earn your place. There are gifts here, hidden in surprising places from those we'd least expect. Gifts that cannot be bought or earned or acquired, but are only revealed when standing still. Be gently seen, and as you are, hear your true name, your true self, offered on the lips of those who know you. Then speak, tapping wisdom, not fear, knowing your voice belongs. And as you do, May you be folded into grace, into the rhythm of belonging, participating in the clatter and din of making ready a space for life to be shared. Take, it, take your place at the table, knowing your whole self is welcome here. And be reminded once again that the truest things about you is that you belong and that you are loved. This is the best of what I've known in Christian community. With a lot of bits redacted, of course. But some of you may have tasted that in samples. 
throw again. Did anything resonate or stand out for at home? Anything in there that you long for? I found it interesting how my body responded to both the first and second trip. The first, the first one had, uh, I was laughing a lot in the recognition of, of having it put to words something which I just live in and, and don't question. And somehow that was surprising and, and funny, though it wasn't from, it wasn't from pure humour. I think it was the recognition of it that made me laugh. But then it also had a deep heaviness. I could feel there was a, like a, like an entrapment feeling, like I'm stuck in this system and I didn't like that. So my body felt heavy afterwards. So sort of like I'd been for a few rounds in the boxing ring once you finished, you're like, oh, yuck. Um, with the second one, it didn't have the highs or lows that the first one had. My body felt much more um, relieved. I, it was more spacious. It, there was, I was sighing a lot. <laughs> I kept getting some laughter here. There's <laughs> a lot of sighing the person next to me. Um, and e even to the point where um, you can sort of feel them cold, so you're looking at each other and they're starting to get the sharing warmth. And during the script, you actually said, we've come together to share warmth. So it was a real a real demonstration of, of some of the experiences I have in this place. Um, so I, I felt that some of that trip, not in an idealised way, but some of that trip um, echoed why I love this community and the acceptance of it. And there's a lot of seesawing in that. So, yeah, that's at an intellectual level. My body liked the second one much more. Yeah, it's really lovely. Thank you. Um, hi, everyone. I'm Tiz Amri here. I used to work at Ben's Tiny Mall. Um, I think that for a long time, for me, faith and religion and belief and all of that has been such an individual thing. Um, and I so I think that um, the verbalization of the second one being about community and being about um, being welcomed in a space with that faith um, and sharing that faith with people was something that was really, um, I don't know, enlightening and welcoming and gave that sense of belonging that was completely stripped from the first one, where the first one was very much about the individual and you are your own person. Um, and I wrote it down, um, the, the sentence, you are not self-made, you're made and you're loved, I think really resonated with that whole, you don't have to be an individual when you are in a spacious system, you are in a space with an individual. And I think I really strive for and I haven't, actually been able to think about this kind of stuff before in such a um, down-to-earth way. Yeah. Thanks, Kiz. Thank you.
for me it was um, the line that had the F-bomb in it, which is, as I don't know, it's like, <laughs> I was just drawn to it because it's, um, you know, you sort of long, you know, like sitting along and then all of us, yeah, okay. And then suddenly you hear the word fuck come from the front of the church, which is one thing I love about this <laughs> um, community. But, um, yeah, I think just the contrast to other church communities I've experienced growing up where there was a lot of judgment and pressure to get it right, but then just having that stated as a fact, like that you just will fuck up in your attempt to, um, you know, support other people or be part of that community. And so just having it stated or not just you probably will, you may, but it's like, no, you just will. It's human nature, but then the freedom that that brings as well, just this lack of judgment and I guess being able to see the intent behind someone's actions. Even with that, the familiarity and presence to do the repair because I think we have a kind of like once burned world where you get a shot and if you don't get it then you just burn it and move on and start again yeah and you're cancelled yeah mm. yeah but the familiar the difficult journey of having a community where you can screw up and then still get to stick around to do the hard thing of working out what that means for you and for the people that you have wounded, yeah. Um, I felt like, um, I felt similar to you when you're talking about your body the first time with the hike and the loathing that came up with, um, like, a sense of kind of letting go. But I found in the second one that definitely a wall came up partway through. And I think it's... Um, in previous experiences of church, just uh, at least capitalism's honest about itself. You know, like capitalism's like, yeah, I'm not great, but that's just the way that it is and it's fine and it works. Whereas church, you get lulled into a false sense of security. <laughs> and so I think that was the wall coming up of like, actually, no, I don't want to be lulled into this because I don't want to be, yeah, I've been drinking before, exactly. So as much as the ideals are nice, they kind of hide something that's, you know, more, whatever that word is. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's so, so helpful. And then neoliberalism is just there waiting, going, I told you. That is why whatever happens, you do not trust. Because the only thing you can trust is that you will look after yourself. I told you so, you idiot. Why did you even try community? Because we all know it doesn't work. The only true thing is that you can trust yourself. Yeah. Mm. yeah, I think really similarly, like both can feel a bit exhausting. Like version one is like shiny and tired and version two is like mucky and tired. <laughs> Um, and I think that comes with part of what you were talking about before in that those who have like a social justice or community bent going like full pelt without arrest and that level of care but also that level of vulnerability being really exhausting. Um, and I think sometimes without the health of that working for everyone, like if you go down the community track, you're also going to get burnt out, um, which I think is, yeah, we just don't have that many good models of it working cohesively and working well. Um, and so I end up feeling a little bit lost. It's like, that's what I want in theory, 
but I don't know what it looks like for it to be healthy. And I don't really want the individual path either. So it's like, how do, yeah. And, and even with that, like, what am I left, what am I left over with from my other life to spend on this? Like, there's this, um, oh, what's the, it's completely escaped my mind now. There's a, there's a um, Russian author who wrote a, a diary of a gulag. It's a, it's a novel, but um, he talked about being, you know, in a gulag in Siberia. You kind of you know, get sent there. Um, there's no fences. Um, and, and he says, like, the way you make it so no one escapes is to make them too tired to dream of it. So in these gulags, you would get worked, like they're work camps, like prison camps. You get worked so hard that you just crave and long for your bed at the end of the day. And if you could just lay down for a bit before you had to get up again, then that's, that's all the dream your body could hold. And you just think about the way productivity and capacity and growth are so deeply a part of our narrative and the way we push ourselves. I mean, I have this conversation regularly with teachers. <laughs> this kind of like what used to be this kind of like sensible job, pillar of the community, you know? Like I would never let my kid become a teacher if I had anything to do with it, not that I have any control over either of them. But the workload and the expectations and the reporting and the after hours and the keeping up and the like – Come weekend, you've just got nothing. All you can do is just lay at home because thank God you get a rest. And so, you know, not that, that script is not meant to be a judgment on, you know, like, well, why aren't you doing this? It's partly a revealing and acknowledging the system saying it works in particular ways to make sure that we can't do this and that productivity gets the best of us um, and there's nothing left over for the kinds of, rhythm and care that might actually, like, grow something. And there's, like, you know, very suspicious economic critiques around why that is so and that a nimble, fluid workforce who isn't tied down to anyone is much better for an economy which closes down sectors and starts up new ones. And so if you keep everyone nimble and free and not connected, um, it's actually much healthier for relocating workforces where you need to. Um, and then if people get, you know, destroyed along the wayside, then that's just capital. There's um, a collateral damage, so, you know, that's fine. Bezos is still very rich. Back. It, um, it reminds me of a story in uh, the book Guns, Germs, and Steel, where there's a, um, there's like a tribe in, in two islands, and uh, the, they, they kind of separated and they were so far away, they, they were completely separate. And um, one of them was very warlike and is kind of a hellish uh, atmosphere. And the other one is very, very peaceful. And they found the growth in community and then it existed like that for generations. And then the, the technology um, moved forward so that they could get boats. And the, the warlike tribe just obliterated the peaceful one. Just They were just gone. <laughs> so then it makes me feel like the second one is um, is what I want, but I... Yeah, basically, <laughs> basically, yeah, yeah. The, another angle on that, though, is that 
both of those tribes had community. And this is kind of the Rabbi David Sachs, who's a used to be chief rabbi of the American synagogue before he died. Um, Jewish theologian talked about uh, like effectively the middle of society has been hollowed out and all that is left is the individual and the state. And I would argue all that's been left is the individual and the corporation which runs the state. Um, but forming resistance, like even to organize war, like forming like the, uh, the possibility of individuals forming resistance. Like we can complain all we want in our own homes and cannot change anything because every movement that's actually changed anything, the civil rights movement, has been collectives of collectives coming together to, to force change. And effectively, we're A, too tired, and then B, too disorganized, that we, we, can, we can, all we can do is complain to ourselves. Um, yeah, so even if we wanted to wage war, we couldn't. But anyway, yeah, so thank you. Uh, around the corner, pretty soon. Um, get this fellow here. Um, I think it's worth pointing out that all of the examples of community and collective that we've had, whether it's like, you know, not-for-profit people with that sort of um, rejection of the economy and forced churches and stuff, it's all, they're all embedded within neoliberal capitalistic societies. And if you look to the past of the church, it was, you know, this attempt at community that was embedded within feudal power structures. So you ended up with the medieval church that basically was running like a kingdom and destroying people in that way. Um, um, I was thinking about examples of societies that were that have maybe have been organised more around the community's non-capitalistic, non-neoliberal lines. Like as a comparison, and I think a lot of um, sort of more agricultural um, societies, like smaller smaller scale, sort of with um, tribal, um, sort of have that and. Um, uh, yeah, so there, there are stories from, I, I don't have references because I can't remember anything, but from, I'm sorry, I'm really sorry. I should be more productive. Um, um, so, but, but, but just remembering from anthropology studies, like um, a lot of people within those societies, when they were contacted and started being able to engage with um, Western, Western cultures, actually like found that quite liberating for them because um, the communal model can have its own downfalls and people just like so tied into these interlocking obligations um, you know with, with with families and communities and there's just no opportunity for um, I, I'm like I'm overstating it here um, for for individuality or creativity or um, any way to move things forward because it's just yeah, it's it's mucky. Is it you said that Janelle? Or yeah, like the the mucky um, difficulty rather than the shiny difficulty. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's I, I don't have a conclusion from that. But but yeah. So our examples of community are not um, are like not isolated from capitalism. They're embedded within it. And I think the way the church shows my feeling is that a lot of the things that are going to be wrong with the church are going to be the things that are wrong with the society around it, like medieval Christianity and like modern capitalism. Even though it's like hit the um, is there any more conclusions? Um, it was interesting listening to the first one and after freedom that question of who are you to find my myself responding with kind of 
connections to people because of, in many ways, the way that I live in community. Um, and then also listening to both of them, recognising that both of them are scripts that function in my life. Um, and also particularly feeling the weight of or like being very aware of the amount of time I spend outside of my community trying to recontextualise it for like a neoliberal script, like trying to re-explain things. Like I, re I refer to people in my community as my in-laws in some of my work settings because it's the closest thing that anyone would understand. Like I want obligation to these people kind of things. And that, I mean, neither is perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but if you live more in one script than another, you still have to be able to explain it to the other. And you carry both. You carry the outside when you come in and you carry the inside when you come out. And you have to be able to tell the story of each to the other. Well, great. Compelling mistruths. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the challenges of this particular community, we're talking about FNCC, is that lots of us have come from coercive communities of mutual obligation. So the mutual obligation is there, but there's also coercion and totalitarianism and not listening and harm. And so that coercion has been moved, and or the mutual obligation has been moved towards homogenization. So people who don't fit a particular structure and sphere, who have escaped <laughs> that, the natural thing to escape to is neoliberal autonomy because that is the safest place or feels like the safest place, the lowest risk place in lots of ways. Um, the danger is with it is that, and why I think this is particularly relevant to the inner north is that that narrative works really, really well as long as everything's working really, really well. If you don't really need people, then it works fantastically. Uh, if you suddenly really do need people, and not in convenient ways where, like, you know, you break your arm and someone cooks you a meal, and then the obligation is done, but in ways that are long-term. You have an autistic child, your body stops working properly, you cannot work. Like, any of those long-term things that actually, like, really get in the way of people's lives, that's when here, for lots of people, their only option is moving home to wherever that is. And if home's not good, for lots of people, their only option is they don't have that many options. And that's really, that's really tough. So I'm just very aware of both of those things, coercive communities of mutual obligation and freedom with very little net. Um, and I guess the hope bit is I believe maybe because I need to, and maybe because I actually believe it, maybe because I'm an idiot, that non-coercive communities of mutual obligation are possible. Um, <laughs> that might be too much of a sentence. Uh, do you want me to decode that? Um, communities where we have a sense of duty and care for one another, but where the power structures are so that we have also have a voice. There's also negotiation where there, um, where you don't have sister wives, um, <laughs> you aren't trapped in a cult. Uh, yeah, that that I, I believe 
despite the fact that the system is fiercely against this and will everything about the structure of our lives will make it very difficult that it is actually possible. And I partly believe that because I've been here 10 years now and have seen some shit, <laughs> but still have managed to find, I mean, I don't have, I'm a, I'm a Kiwi who moved here in some ways to escape. Um, and I have found uh, in mild forms ways of communities I've been held and holding in ways that haven't felt like they've violated me too strongly and have been centered around actually being seen. And I think it's a really beautiful possibility. I do fear for this community that it's the core that has kind of carried it to this place. Um, I was really struggling at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the scatteredness, what COVID's done in terms of scattering us. I think a huge part of it is being in a rhythm where we're here often enough together to see and to notice each other. Um, and this season's making that really, really hard for people. Yeah. But anyway, here's a long ramble and two scripts for you to chew on and maybe throw back at me. Um, hopefully it wasn't too caricature or too twee. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, I think there is hope there. Um, and to be honest, the alternative, um, yeah, the alternative just seems to me to be a bit grim. You know, if you've got a great extended family, you might make it. <laughs> if you don't, I think, yeah, it's, it's tough. Yeah. But anyway, there's lots of questions that might come out of that. Um, hopefully it ties enough into the body series and the way we think about being our body together, but also the way our, I just think, physical presence. Like, again, coercive communities that make you be there every week. <laughs> Otherwise, you're on a list and sent a letter. Um, which we've, you know, tried really hard not to do, but also a sense of mutual obligation of who sets the table, who notices who's missing, who tends the flame. Like I was joking a while back with people about like Fitzroy North being, um, our tagline should be Fitzroy North. I'm so glad that place exists. Like I don't go, I can't be part of it, but one day I might break up with my boyfriend and really, really need it. So like my community might fall apart and I know that that place is there and it's kind and good. And like I totally, we do hold that space and I think it's really important. But I'm also just worried about our capacity to continue holding that space because it feels a bit, particularly through COVID, like that core is dwindling in some ways. And again, it's not judgment because some people, you, you know, most of us who can't afford to buy a house here. You have to travel to here or rent here. If you have a family, you're screwed. Just go to Ringwood. Um, you get a new job and you don't have an option. You take the job. Like, you're too exhausted to be here week in, week out because you're a teacher. Like, you know, there's a million. Again, it's not an act of judgment to say if you're not here, you're not doing well enough. The system is stacked against it. But it's also kind of a naming something, I guess, of a small amount of anxiety within the space of going. Will we survive? <laughs> Will we survive this? I don't know. Yeah. But anyway, here's some words for you. Um, and better than words are crackers. So 
Um, if we've got, we're going to do crackers today. I don't know if we really should be doing crackers today, but like it's felt like because we referenced crackers in that second script, it'd just be silly not to. So if someone doesn't mind grabbing that cracker plate up there and someone that one up there and take a cracker if you would like to participate in communion or even if you're just hungry or would like to pretend because you don't want to look like you're not. And also feel free to turn a cracker down if you'd like to as well. On you, if you, it is late, so if you have to leave, we won't assume that you're going to hell. John and Julie definitely, but other they're already gone, so we can talk about them now. Has anyone got anything to say about John and Julie? Concerns for them? Yeah, I thought so. Thank you. Not my favourite flavour, but still. Bring back seaweed Jesus, I say. Loving God, um, be kind to us and help us, help this morning not to feel like another <laughs> burden laid on our shoulders, but instead a possibility. Help us to be kind to ourselves and not take full responsibility for the ways in which we participate in a system which both brings freedom but also at a cost. Um, I pray that everyone here might know, at least in some form, how truly loved, how deeply known, how made they are. And that failure in this system doesn't make you a non-person, that you are still loved. Jesus, you showed such kindness and grace. You are invited. Those without, those on the outside, into the center. And so we receive that for ourselves also. Let us eat and drink together.